This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond. It's the only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor, Segway-specific training area. Find out more information at rivercitysegs.com or on Facebook or on Twitter at 804segs. And you're definitely going to want to like those pages, follow that on, on Twitter, because Easter's, Easter's coming up. And that means the River City Segs Easter Seg Hunt. Uh, this year, it's even bigger than last year. There's going to be thousands of dollars, uh, more than more than $3,000 of fantastic, really amazing things from local companies. There are going to be eggs hidden around the city. Good for these fantastic free stuff. And you follow River City Segs on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be giving clues on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Easter weekend. That's uh, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. And you, you and your pals go out and, and find them. It's not a Segway-specific event, right? You can do it on a bike. Do it however you like. You can do it you know, on foot, whatever you need to do. Uh, get in your car. Go find the Easter Segs. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, the Science Museum of Virginia, Lucy's Restaurant, uh, a fantastic sponsor of this program, Frame Nation. Uh, Shaco Denim is also involved, City Dogs. We don't have time to go through all of them, but you can see all the participating businesses on our event page on Facebook. You can also check out, um, you know, rivercitysegs.com. Again, we have some information there. Um, but just, you know, like those pages on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great time. And hashtag any uh, uh, comments you have about it. Seg Hunt 14. That's S E G G 14. Hashtag Seg Hunt. And always practice safe segs. History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I hope you're having a great day. I have Dale Weary on the show. Dale is curator and director of Maymont Mansion. Now, most people know Maymont as one of the best parks in the city, one of the best parks around. Um, but it's an excellent story as well. Uh, the park was donated uh, to the city by James and Sally Dooley. Uh, James, uh, you know, makes a, a pretty decent fortune in the railroads and rebuilding after the Civil War. Uh, but you know, the story is actually good enough that I decided to break it into two episodes. Um, the first one is going to be more about the Dooleys, and then the next one will be more about the the park itself. Now, obviously, the park and the people are interrelated. Um, I mean, the, so the, the the two topics do bleed together, uh, but. Yeah, kind of. The first part's mostly going to be about them. The second part's mostly going to be about the park itself. Um, but they're both pretty interesting. I mean, and I didn't even plan it. I just, Dale and I, you know, started talking and kept. she kept saying interesting things. So we kept going. <laughs> um, there is, uh, there are a little few gaps, unfortunately, in, um, in what we know of the Dooleys. Uh, you know, the Sally on her death actually burned all of their uh, personal papers. So um, there's a lot of stuff that we just really don't know. But uh, but, but that's okay because we do know a lot and, and you're about to hear some of it. Um, but, you know, springtime's here. Go check out Maymont. You know, it's beautiful. Uh, they do ask for a $5 donation. 
A lot of people don't realize that. Um, you know, if you have a fiver in your pocket next time you go, drop it in there. Um, it, it's well worth it. I mean, especially now with spring, beautiful weather, it is well worth heading out to Maymont. Uh, and you know, if, if just hanging out in one of the most incredible parks around is not enough for you, you can go out Saturday, April 19th. They're going to be doing the uh, uh, Dominion Family Easter, which is uh, egg hunt, crafts, all kinds of you know, family fun. And they do tons of really amazing um, uh, you know, uh, tours of the house that are specialized. You, know, you can do a regular tour. They do specialized tours and different topics. Um, you can find out all the events that they have going on at Maymont at maymont.org. Uh, you can find out how to support the park there as well. And... You know, speaking of support, why don't you support this podcast as well? Um, you know, if you've never listened to the podcast before, History Replays Today comes out on the 1st and the 15th of every month. And it's basically just smarter people than me, right? People that have studied something, um, lived through something uh, about Richmond history, the greater Richmond area. And it's free on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Generally, wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find it there uh, or at historyreplacetoday.org. And if you go to historyreplacetoday.org, uh, you'll find you know pictures that correlate, you know, correspond with the with the different episodes. Um, but you can also find a support button there. You can you know that that button will help allow you to become a sponsor of the podcast, which is very affordable. Um, check that out. Um, you can also just you know donate some money. Right, if you've listened to all these episodes, you know maybe it's worth five bucks to you. Right, um, I'm not asking for for the world; just a couple dollars here and there for 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 the time. Um, but uh, uh, also, let me know what you think about the episodes. Uh, I'm on Facebook, um, History Replays Today, on t- uh, Tumblr, History Replays Today, and on Twitter at History Replays, and on Pinterest as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and, and get to this conversation with um, with Dale Weary, and I start out just asking her, you know, who James Dooley was. Well, you know, um, James Henry Dooley, born in Richmond, eighteen forty one. His parents came from Ireland, okay. and his father became very prosperous in Richmond, and they came here before the potato famine. So the father and mother came from. Ireland, Limerick, we think, and they came to the uh, to Richmond in the 1830s, 1836 thereabouts. So this was before the potato famine. So mm. they weren't forced out uh, because of poverty or what have you. We're not exactly sure why they decided to immigrate, but when they came, uh, James Henry Dooley's father, John Dooley, uh, seemed to be fairly well off. And he started the hat manufacturing business, and then they prospered. His father was investing in railroads, the earliest railroads in Virginia in the 18, um, well, 40s and 50s. Right. So that was already uh, an interest in in the family. So uh, by the time of the Civil War, his father, John Dooley, was very prominent in the community. Did he happen to have anything to do with the, um, I think it may have been 1830s, but it was the, the first railroad in Virginia, 
I don't know if you have any idea what no. talking about. It was okay. It was. I think he was a, an investor mainly. All right. The father. Because there was this ridiculous one that I've only the only thing I really know about is there's a sign at Ankara's Point where it went from the Mechanicsville or the Midlothian coal mines. Oh yeah. All the way down there, right. um, but that the uh, the state legislature thought that the steam thing was going to be a fad, so it's actually gravity powered. Uh-huh. So like the map of it, it like winds. I mean, it's the most ridiculous wind, so that it can. <laughs> Get yeah. continued gravity and the oxen pull it uphill. But yeah, the, the early railroads are really fascinating. You know that that uh, the impact of that that new transportation technology going so fast. Sure, I mean, it, it's a fascinating thing to contemplate. The it's pretty amazing change in you know people's perspective. And, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, to be able to I mean see Petersburg and back in the day yeah. and that's like it's pretty interesting <laughs> um probably the hotel's probably not that excited about that if you go and <laughs> right. come back but, uh, right. um but so yeah so he's i mean he's doing well right his I mean, he's, father's doing well and then he's able to afford a, an excellent education for his children mm-hmm. uh, both the boys as well as the the girls and uh, james henry dooley went to georgetown college it was then college and he he excelled. He was brilliant. He right. was first in his class all four years at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And then almost immediately after he received his um, undergraduate degree, then the war broke. So, And did they have and, proper and, majors like that, like they do now? Or that uh, just been yes, a- and I, you know, I think his was some... Something that we don't have now, it may have been something called natural philosophy. Okay. And what exactly that is, yeah. <laughs> not sure what curriculum it, it parallels. But. Sounds like something you get if your uh, father's well off. But <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, so he goes, joins the Confederate Army, right? Pretty short well, after that? Right. Well, shortly thereafter, his father was uh, the first in. Oh, really? His father okay. had uh, was one of the founders of the militia company, uh, the Montgomery Guard, which was one of the Irish companies in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And so um, most of the people in the uh, Montgomery Guard, Company C of the 1st Virginia uh, mm-hmm. Richmond, they were mostly Irish heritage. Huh. And um, at a certain point... After the founding of this company in the 1850s, they had green uniforms. Oh, nice. Uh, I like that. Yeah. And the, uh, like Kelly green? or Yeah, pretty bright green. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then by the time of the war, they'd gone over to the, the standard gray. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, yeah, and I guess that's a pretty weird, uh, um, like when your dad's your commander. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, does that work out? I mean, is there any records of that, or like military records of him? How's that work out for him? Um, uh, well, his father retired from the army. Um, I guess that would have been spring of eighteen sixty-two. Okay. And he was, you know, getting on in years, and um, so he was. His father retired as, um, I believe, a major, and then uh, James Henry Dooley went in as a private. He went in in April of 1862, and then along came the Battle of Williamsburg uh, just about a month after he went in, May 5th, and he was wounded and captured. So he was down on um, 
you know, Fort Wool when you're crossing the um, the bridge tunnel to from right. uh, Hampton to Norfolk. Mm-hmm. There's a little island out there. It's now called Fort Wool, and uh, at the time it was called Rip Raps. Okay. And that's where the Union had a prison camp out there. Huh. So he spent. May through August out there in the middle of Hampton Roads. Right. And ba- how, bacon in the sun. Yeah. How does he get off of that? Um, there was an exchange. Okay, so you got traded. Prisoner, yep, and they brought him up the river, and he was ex- exchanged at, I think it was somewhere near Verina. The, um, and, and is, is he, I mean, he, so he only really see. he's not going to see a whole lot. I mean, it's only, is, okay. he actually, is that the only battle he's in? Yeah, well... After that, we don't have any um, records of what happened. But at some point, according to documents during his lifetime, um, he took the examination, pretty tough examination, uh, to um, get a commission as an ordinance officer. Okay. So if you passed, it was heavy on chemistry and physics, and you had to be pretty smart to pass it. Um if you passed, you got um, a commission as a lieutenant. So there's there are, um, documents from his lifetime that show that that he became a, a lieutenant of ordnance. But we really don't have any wartime records okay. of that. So anyway. Huh. Uh, but he's not. I mean, he's injured, but he's not like. I mean, he's got all his arms. He has a, well. He has a, a severe wound in his right wrist. So he's really incapacitated for fighting okay. further. So, huh. yeah. um, and, and I'm assuming they're slaveholders. Yeah, the war? father the father owned slaves. There were um, uh, slaves that worked in the home on Broad Street, and I'm not sure um, there may have been slaves that were working in the hat manufacturing business, mm-hmm. the factory, but. Um, I, I would have to check our records. Sure. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, and then after the war, he's going to stick around in Richmond. I mean, is there? I mean, is he just James his Henry Dooley? Yeah. I mean, do uh, he still have a fortune? Because I know even most well, people you are going to lose lots. Of, the hat business uh, burned, okay. and I'm sure that lots of their investments were in um, Confederate bonds right. and so forth. So there it goes. But um, the um, James Henry Dooley um, went back almost right after the war and got his uh, degree, uh, um, second degree, and became an attorney in mm-hmm. Richmond. He read for the law. So um, then he started, you know, building his practice, and he he was, you know, he came from a family that was prominent and. He went into the legislature in uh, 1873 through mm-hmm. 1876, so he was uh, becoming known as one of the young leaders of, right. of Richmond. So. He seems like he's pretty good at being a lawyer, too, right? I mean, Oh, he, he was I mean, he is a brilliant guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he made some money doing... I mean, he's, he's already getting back on his I don't know that there was or? a lot of money in being an attorney at that okay. time. But, um, and we don't really know how he made, you know, started making money, but in the 1880s, um, he decided that he would focus his career on 
on railroads and rebuilding and financing railroads. Mm -hmm. So there was a shift around 1880 toward, um, toward investments and specifically railroads. And he and some business associates here in Richmond, they got together and uh, they, they got uh, control of the Richmond and Danville. Uh, which w had been uh, an old railroad in Richmond, mm -hmm. I mean in Virginia, as I guess old as they get, uh, and it went from Richmond to Danville, and that was the line that Jeff Davis and the cabinet took on their way out of Richmond right. at the end of the war, or mm -hmm. right before the end of the war. So they, these investors, James Henry Dooley and his his business associates, bought up controlling interest and they expanded it and and connected it on through uh, the deep south all the way to Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. So the objective then, the need was to collect, not to collect, but to connect a lot of these small independent lines and make one long line that, you know, would carry you on through from Richmond into the Deep South. Right. Um, I mean, is there any indication that he was, I mean, was he like a Confederate holdover? Because I, I thought about it last night, I mean, when he, when I was, I was kind of looking over it when he, I mean, he's elected in 1871, right? So that's the first time when, like, Reconstruction's over. Mm -hmm, I mean, it's right. most of those people that get elected are, yeah. are, you know, Confederate, you know, folks that are going to hold, they're you know, holding the dream pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um I've never seen his name connected with any monument building or anything like that, so I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that he didn't. Um, we just don't know. Um, he was um, he was a Confederate. He was moved by the thought of the Confederacy on the back of his um, miniature. There's a gold miniature on gold frame miniature in the collection mm -hmm. of him in his Confederate uniform and on the back uh, it's a rather sentimental uh, statement um, uh, the glory of having fought and been shot for the Confederacy uh, the honor sufficeth words to wow. that effect right. so, and then his, his wife Sally Dooley uh, was very immersed in the lost cause. Mm -hmm. And we know James Henry Dooley donated to the the veterans' home, the R.E. Lee camp, and okay. so forth. So um, how uh, he, he was a, a ardent Confederate, but I think he was smart enough to see, as some did, that you, the change was inevitable. Right. And if you want to be in a position of strength, you you maneuver and navigate those uh, changes to your benefit and to the benefit of your hometown right. and to the benefit of the South. Right. So he was all about building Southern business and sure. rebuilding the economy. And I think that's why we associate with him with uh, the vision of the new South. Mm -hmm. So he's all about rebuilding sure. and moving forward. Yeah. His wife, on the other hand, you know, her book... Them Good Old Times, published in 1906, is uh, squarely in the camp of the lost cause tradition. Right. So she's looking back with nostalgia. Uh, she's um, she's resisting change. 
Uh, also, something else about Mrs. Dooley on this very staunchly conservative side, uh, while Major Dooley's sisters, um, Josephine and Alice Dooley, and Josephine's daughter, Nora Houston, while they were, um, they were very active suffragists, uh, Mrs. Dooley, on the other hand, was a member of the executive board of the Women's uh, Committee Against Suffrage. I saw Women's, that. Yeah. That's, that's, a, yeah. that's a very strange uh, concept, for I think, for, for, for modern... For modern people, for yeah. For modern times, imagine that you would want to not vote. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, but... Um, that's, that's interesting, and but and I guess even backing up yeah. because they're already married at that point, right? When he's on oh, the sure. railroad. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, so they married eighteen sixty nine. Okay, right. So not long after the war, then. Mm-hmm. Um, but is she living? She's not living in Richmond, right? I mean, she moves to Lit Richmond from because she's also from pretty wealthy, a pretty wealthy stock. Well, she is from uh, an old Virginia family. Her grandfather had a large. Uh, tobacco plantation in Lunenburg County, and that's where she was born and raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the life that she knew. She was um, descended from what we would call prominent Virginia families mm-hmm. that go way back in uh, the history of Virginia, back to the the uh, colony time of the colony, and. Um, we're not exactly sure how well off they were. Her father was, uh, although well born, so to speak, uh, he was a physician. He came from a prominent Petersburg family, the May family, and they were the ones who had this uh, connection back to Nathaniel Harrison and to Edward Dix, the colonial uh, governor. So. How well off they were, we don't know. And where exactly she and her father were living at the time of the war. Um, her sisters were much older than she, and she was very close to them. And um, things were in a lot of flux during the war in Virginia. I mean, we were the battleground. Sure. So um, whether they were living still in Lunenburg or whether they'd moved to Petersburg or Richmond, we don't know. Uh, but somehow James and Sally Dooley met. Uh, we've got some theories about how they may have met. Uh, but um, she was a belle, blonde, blue-eyed belle. Mm-hmm. He was young, brilliant, great education. And um, you think, though, about the dichotomy, though. You've got the old South and the old Virginia family and the new immigrant stock uh, merchant class, they're well off, but still merchant versus the agrarian past. So you've already got some tension there. And the other thing that's interesting is um, Mrs. Dooley's family, Episcopalian, Protestant Episcopal Church, Major Dooley's family, Roman Catholic. And they were very prominent in St. Peter's Church here in Richmond. Sure. her family, her father in particular, her mother had died when she was about seven or eight, um, really not pleased that right. she was marrying outside of her faith. And that's another thing that uh, we in our time have no 
issues with most of us don't sure <laughs> but in that time marrying outside of your even your denomination uh, was was really uh, frowned upon, and on his side, I'm sure. And Catholic to boot, right? It's not right. even like you're not even right. going Methodist. I mean, that's right. Catholics are <laughs> like the Antichrist, right? At that point, like well, the people saying the Pope is like you know. Well, I think there was there was some um, xenophobia, some some fear or or uh, taboo there, but um, on her side too. Um, the, Roman Catholic um, sisters-in-law. Um, let's see, um, Major Dooley's father had died by that point, and it was his mother. Um, and I'm sure they thought, well, why isn't James marrying a good Catholic girl? Right. You know, what about the children? Uh, how will they be brought up? Sure. And, and those were important questions for these for these folks back then. Would the Irish have been a stigma? Or is that... Um, seem like I know that, you know, in other areas of, of the country, yeah. uh, in the North in particular, uh, the uh, the Irish, there was a huge stigma and there was a lot, of, a lot of prejudice against the Irish. I guess immigrant in general, right? Yeah. I mean, is that... I mean, coming from that kind of, like, stock, I mean, you mm -hmm. want to try and find someone else who's got colonial mm -hmm. heirs or whatever, right? Something yeah. like that. I don't know. Well, then you think, though, uh, a young woman in in Sally's position, um, at the end of the war, well, you know, right. uh, the flower of, you know, Virginia manhood had pretty much been wiped out. Mm -hmm. But... Major do like pr look pretty good to her. Right. Here's his picture up on. Sure. Yeah. He's yeah, a good-looking guy. Good-looking right? guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, his wrist was messed up, but you know, he had this great education, and right. and he was intent on uh, making millions. And we know this because I, I told you, uh, Jeff, all the papers in the house were burned right mm -hmm. after Mrs. Dooley's death. Well, some things survived. All of the books in the library, most all of them, uh, belong to the Dooleys. And in the Latin uh, dictionary that he had when he was about 14 years old, there's this great inscription, and uh, I think you probably read this in some of the materials already. When I have made 5148360 dollars and so many cents, I will stop making money, and he signs wow. it, J.D. So, he had a vision. Yeah. He's brilliant. He had a vision, and he had a great education, and he came back to Richmond uh, at this, after getting that second degree, when uh, there was this huge transition. Mm -hmm. Things were in flux, uh, very unstable situation with Reconstruction, and he... He was smart enough to see how to navigate through that and work it um, to his advantage, as well as helping to rebuild the the uh, the economy. Right. Yeah. So, in his uh, I, I, this may be complete nonsense, but I, I've heard that he um, actually represented railroads um, as a lawyer, and then would take um, stock as payment. Is that well? Um, I'm not sure that there's documentation okay. to that. There's some stuff out there uh, where there is a, a lack of a definitive biography 
some stories kind of creep in, but whether or not that is okay. actually documented, we don't hmm. we don't know. And so, I mean, how long is his uh, railroad empire? I mean, does he does he ever achieve that goal that, of the the dollar amount, hmm. <laughs> or does he um, stop making well, money at some point? I don't have any figures, sure. you know, throughout the career, but uh, when he died. His estate was valued at six million. Oh wow! Okay. So just a little bit yeah. more, just you know, that fudge factor to make it uh, comfortable. Right. In case of a panic or a depression or something. And it, yeah, you never know. Five right. million yeah. might just not be right. enough. Right. Um, but the. Uh, but in those days, of course, five million was huge. Sure, and so railroads. Um, I mean, he's. Um, I mean, he's is he? Because I also. As, I was looking, he invested heavily in a steel company in Birmingham, I think it was. Uh, yes, uh, the Sloss Sheffield yeah. uh, Steel and, Company. And right. I was wondering why he would not try and um, get up with Tredegar or something that was here. Um, now, I'm, I'm getting into territory. I, uh, I have not personally researched. Mm -hmm. um, my focus has been on the um, collection, the okay. house museum, the estate, uh, and Maymont history. Okay. And how it evolved. But um, the Richmond Danville, um, they took that line to um, Birmingham, okay. Alabama. And that's where the the Slosh Sheffield uh, furnaces sure. were located. So um, it looked like a great opportunity. And right. it's huge. So it was huge. Sure. And then also he became president of a um, some land development there, a company that uh, developed a trolley system and, mm -hmm. and real estate. So. Sure. And were there, were there trolleys coming out here? Well... Uh, Cause, cause 1888 was when Richmond got its uh, the the first streetcar was inaugurated. Right. And um, the new reservoir park. This was right here north of this property was the terminus mm -hmm. uh, for the for the trolley line, the streetcar line. And so that was 1888. They purchased this property in 1886. Oh, uh, okay. And so. Uh, they had electricity in the house when it was built, so this was one of the earliest houses in the area okay. that was um, built with elect electricity installed. Right. So other houses were having it adapted. But, wow. Uh, so that, that, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, I like um, that. We're not exactly sure, but it may have been that they were able to tap into that grid because we do know in 1906 we have uh, his description of the property when the city was trying to annex this area in 1906. He testified uh, against that and he had to give a description of the property. Okay. So we have a pretty good idea of, of um, what was here at that time. We also have some other documents that tell us some other things about sure. the property, but that's important to us because he says in 1906 uh, that they uh, manufactured the gas here for the house. So the house we already knew had gas as well as electric light. The, okay. the fixtures in the house are really 
unusual. There was just a narrow period of time when these combination or hybrid fixtures that mm-hmm. had both gas and electric light right. all in one. Which seems incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> that sounds so they awfully didn't dangerous. last long. But um, they had gas light and the electric light. And, and um, Did you say they were, fa- they were fabricating, they're making the coal gas on site? They made, a, uh, it's not, uh, it's called air gas. Okay. And we had a lighting study done by specialists in historic lighting. And they could tell by the way these uh, light fixtures are made in the house. They're, you know, all original on the first and second floors. Some original in the basement. Uh, the way they're um, uh, uh, equipped uh, it was air gas, okay. and I can show you uh, the air gas machine that we acquired, which is the type that they had here. Okay, yeah. And I really will have to show that to you in order to explain sure. yeah, how that awesome. was done. So that was, um, they had the gas, they had um, the water source was a spring north of Dooley Branch, so they mm-hmm. had a water ram pump that pumped the water uphill. And the next outbuilding to the mansion, uh, which we call the garage, mm-hmm. was one of the earliest outbuildings on the property. That tall octagonal tower mm-hmm. was where they had the water tank, and that was the water source for the house. The drinking water came from a spring north of here, okay. down the ravine, across Dooley Branch, and they pumped that all the way up to that tower. And with the water ram, they could get about 2,000 gallons a day. Wow. And then he had a gasoline pump also if the water ram failed for some reason. Uh-huh. Uh, and that would give him even more whenever he needed it. So, and so I guess, like, we can uh, kind of back up first. Like, where are we? And you said 18, it's 1886, right? He purchased uh, the property in 1886. So, I mean, we're, we're in Henrico. Right, right at that point. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything here? I mean, anything around here? Well, north just... of north of Maymont was New Reservoir Park, and then that became Bird Park, and I think the name change came somewhere around 1914, and um, that had been uh, farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, Shields Farm. Shields Lake, you know the, right, the sure. name over there. Robinson was another uh, landowner over in the area north of of Maymont. Absolutely. So, uh, but that all became uh, City Park mm-hmm. um, in mm, the eighteen eighties. Right, and yeah. and so I mean, there. Also, the city had their um, nursery. Over there, uh, in a part of Bird Park, you know where the um, uh, Vitacourse is. Mm-hmm. That was the city nursery. But so there's city stuff, not county. Yeah, I think that everybody knew, agreed uh, that the city was moving west. Right. And the city, um, I can't. You'll have to ask Tyler Potterfield. Have okay. you interviewed him yet? I, he's on my list. Okay, he's on my list. <laughs> he can tell you how. Bird Park developed in the city out there, Uh, but um, Dooley had a lot of trouble connecting Maymont, the original gates, Hampton Street, Mm -hmm. the carriage gates, uh, to um, existing roadways, 
and um, Meadow came down, uh, but so far there was the uh, male orphan asylum over on the corner of Amelia, no, uh, yeah, Amelia and Meadow, okay. and Colorado. There's a school there, um, Amelia Street School now, and a big vacant lot. Okay. And um, so the male orphan asylum was there. So Dooley purchased the land from about that point on over to the Hampton Street entrance so he could create a road over this very deep ravine that, um, you know, the branch, the creek that runs through Maymont, created right. a deep ravine there. So he had to fill that all in. Huh. So anyway, there was a big challenge. And, you know, it had been a dairy farm uh, for years owned by this Dr. Crenshaw before Dooley purchased it. Okay. And um, you can picture what it was like when sure. he saw it. I mean... There were probably all these uh, eroded pastures with uh, the fence rows and the Virginia cedars all right. around. So uh, getting it in grass was a big challenge. And creating lawns, that was one of the ways these wealthy folk at the turn of the century could display their wealth was in this great expanse of mowed lawns. Right. When you think about it, and the whole idea of conspicuous consumption, mm -hmm. which everyone always likes to use that phrase when we're talking about the Gilded Age millionaires. Sure. Maintaining a highly manicured estate, 100 acres, right. that was that said a lot about your status. Trust your me, as, as a child cutting the grass, I've thought about that. <laughs> so how absurd it is that you're like, why are we even planning this to cut this? This doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's, and, and so he's just basically got a rolling fields, and I mean, it's just going to drop a house in there. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think from the very beginning, they had this vision that they were creating a show place, okay. an ornamental estate, no agrarian inspiration or intentions whatsoever. Uh, their whole idea was to create uh, a... a a beautiful landscape surrounding mm -hmm. this sumptuous mansion. And I'm assuming that they're not going to live here during construction, right? I mean, they have not somewhere else to well, live? Well, they lived at 212 West Franklin Street, which okay. is still there. Okay. And uh, that was um, built in the early 19th century. Huh. And um, it was an ice house right down the street from where the Jefferson uh, later mm -hmm. went up. And um, they, they thought this house was going to be complete. At least the records suggest that they were, thought it was going to be complete by 1892. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. And they'd already sold the house uh, to 12 West Franklin. Uh -oh. uh, so I think they had other accommodations, right. uh, yeah. other digs they had to, sure. to get for a few months while this was being completed. But they... Began the construction around 1889, and it was completed by 1893. Huh. Wow, that's, a, that's a long construction. I know. That's a lot it, of work. I know. It's, um, and, but yeah. it's built with the pumps and the electricity and all that stuff you're talking mm -hmm. about. So. so there's a lot of infrastructure that they had to get straight, and I'm sure siting it, you know, they, they selected the highest point okay. on the property. Mm -hmm. And he describes their first visit to the property, 1886. They were riding horseback, and they'd uh, ridden from over in New Reservoir Park 
uh, and he describes riding through Shields Grove, big oak trees over there, they're still there, Mm -hmm. you know, on Hampton Mm -hmm. Street, um, Shields Grove, and he says, they came down the ravine, and they went up the hillside, and they came to this spot where there were beautiful views of the river, and ancient oak trees, and they decided here would be the perfect place for their home. Right. So they decided to buy it and um, purchased, mm, first it was about 94 acres, and then they added a few acres here and there. So it's approximately 100 acres. And the amazing thing about Maymont, the, the significant thing about Maymont in Virginia is for us all to remember that it is intact. Right. And this is uh, something that you don't often find. Mm-hmm. Original acreage, original landscape scheme created by the owners, and trees here that the Dooleys brought in from uh, big nurseries in Philadelphia and so forth. Uh, they were collecting trees, creating the arboretum, and they created the Italian garden, Japanese garden, the gazebos, and so forth. So the landscape intact very much as it was. Of course, the trees have grown up. Sure. Uh, And the outbuildings, the estate buildings, all as the Dooleys would have remembered them, from the gatehouse at Hampton Street where the estate manager lived, Mr. Mm -hmm. Tolliver. He was hired in 18... 99 as the estate manager, a young guy, and he worked here for the Dooleys for the duration. And then Dooley, uh, in his will, says that he would like for the city to employ Mr. Tolliver to continue as the manager and to live in the gatehouse as long as he would like. So the gatehouse, uh, the barn that they built in 1908, um, carriage house 1904, the building with the octagonal tower and the water tank. Sure. Um, they renovated that as a garage in the uh, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that original, even the coop, which is now the office of our director of horticulture okay. and the carriage manager. Mm-hmm. So um, all of this original and, and the mausoleum as well. Yeah. And, and then when you come in the house, whoo. Right. We haven't talked about that yet. The buildings are staggering, so I'm assuming the same thing goes with like the Japanese gardens and that that stuff, right? I mean, I mean, because that as well, I've thought about like how how you just you're just walking and you're like, it'd be really nice if we had some Japanese gardens right here, (laughs) and then just you know, (laughs) they had a vision, you know. And I mean, but is there any indication? I mean, was it was this all like? Is it, is it like that? I mean, they, is it an overall plan that they're like, all right, so we're going to work this stages? or Good question. Um, there appears to have been no master plan at the beginning. We know that their intention was to create an ornamental estate, mm-hmm. not a farm. Um, so um, I imagine that in the beginning, getting the place in grass and having these wonderful green rolling hills, bringing in the trees, the plantings, planting all of those magnolias down the, the formal entrance drive. Uh, doing all that site work was, and the infrastructure too, was 
Yeah, you know, very time consuming. They had flowers apparently everywhere. He says that Mrs. Dooley brought in six hundred rose bushes. Wow. Rose bushes. <laughs> yeah. And they had twenty men uh working on the grounds. And uh she was very interested in horticulture and planting and uh beautifying the place. Mm-hmm. Now there was um apparently a great infusion of wealth at a certain point in time uh, when they began to expand the scheme with the Italian garden and then the Japanese garden. And at the same time, and this was a period from like 1907, the first mention of the Italian garden, 1907 to 1913, they were very busy and they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And also, they were able to fit in a couple of trips to Europe and buying and so forth. So, this was a big time. Um, you remember, I, I mentioned he had that youthful uh, dream of making five million, right. so many thousand. Anyway, um, Maybe at that point in time, okay, I've made my five million. Now I'm going to have a little more leisure time and begin to develop this sure. vision. And the man loved European art. He mm-hmm. was he was part of the Richmond Art Club. That was the art scene yeah. in Richmond. And, and, and what uh, was that? I, 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 it was it artists or was it art lovers? Both, I think. Okay. Because they had art classes, they had exhibits, they had artists uh, from out of town coming in and showing their work. Major Dooley gave at least one lecture we know of there on okay. uh, European art. Uh, so he was thought of as as uh, you know, pretty much in the know when it came to the art scene. Is there and any record of him actually picking a brush up or... Don't, no, just, don't know about that, okay. but his niece Nora Houston was was an artist, and mm-hmm. he he was able to uh, send her to art classes in New York. So he he uh, helped her out. He right. was interested in in sponsoring artists. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I think um, this latter period when they were building the Italian Garden and having the um, master. Japanese gardener, mm-hmm. garden master, come in, and we think his name was Muto. He did other Japanese gardens on the East Coast. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and uh, Philadelphia, Long Island, Tuxedo Park, um, and Maymont. Right. <laughs> uh, his name. Um, we get that through a 1935 newspaper article and then with that information we were able to locate him at uh, some of these other East Coast estates. Okay. So um, this was was all you know fulfilling this this vision that they had and then at the same time building the summer home Swananoa yeah. which was huge. It's an Italian Renaissance villa up on Afton Mountain. Mm-hmm. And that's still there as well, and and is it what is what happens there? I mean, is it a park or as as well or? He left it. Well, they left it. Major and Mrs. Dooley left it to his sisters, and um, his sisters didn't inherit 
uh, really enough to to really uh, afford a lifestyle like that. Mm-hmm. Maintaining these places, I'm sure, it's right? Huge uh, cost. But uh, you know, they were interested in art. They were interested in the suffrage movement. They were Richmonders, and really, it wasn't part of their plan to move up to sure. Afton Mountain. So uh, very quickly, they decided to put it on the market. Mm-hmm. And it was sold to a group of Richmond investors who um, turned it into a country club. And so uh, for a few years it operated as a country club, and uh, they put in a golf course, and uh, it was, you know, the place to be, and Calvin Coolidge went there and spent Thanksgiving, and, and then the Depression came. Right. And then also there was, I think it was either, I think it was Farmington Country Club uh, Mm -hmm. was created outside of Charlottesville. So with the pressures of the Depression, the Country Club went bankrupt. And and then it went back into the hands of the Dooley sisters. And because of the Depression, you couldn't unload these places. You couldn't sell them. And uh, so... Eventually, um, in 1944, and really there was only one sister left at that point, Josephine, mm-hmm. um, it was sold to a group of Charlottesville investors, and the name of that was Skyline Swananoa Corporation. And the descendants of that, um, uh, the president of the corporation, Skyline Swananoa, still own it today. Okay. So, yeah. Huh. And is this like a hotel or something? Or no, it's like a, um, it's maintained by the um, could someone president. Go visit it? You can visit it. It's open on occasional okay. weekends, and huh, um, we'll forget them, right? Well, then we're going to talk about Maimon, but we're not going to talk about Maimon anymore until the next episode. Uh, Thank you very much, Dale. I really appreciate your time. That next episode will be coming out on May 1st. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss an episode. Uh, Again, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you're listening to this, just go right over to the the subscribe button. And then next to that, click the review. Write a review for us. If you've made it this far into the show, you must not have hated it. It must not be too bad. Right, uh, so go ahead and write a review. That'll help me out a great deal. Uh, remember, support the podcast any way you can. You know, if you can't make a financial uh, support, um, just tell somebody about it. Right, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your friends. Uh, you know, go down to the hardware store and just just stand in the nail aisle and just tell people, hey, you should check out History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. That'll be pretty fantastic. Um, but make it a great day.